Hello everybody and welcome to Broomvagoon, you will not get there on a road bike. How you doing people? It's a long time not talking to you. I think it was last year, last time. Super bad joke. Anyways, welcome to episode number 3 of season number 4 of the Broomvagoon podcast, brought to you by Komoot. And remember, just go on komoot.com slash g and write the code broom to get your free region and start exploring not only your backyard but something else but especially your backyard please do it for me and you can plan whatever you need and you can really go out and enjoy your favorite landscape landscape that you can get outside of your place why i'm talking so much about backyard stuff well let's put everything on context if you want to know more just go on my instagram account at this calamaro cc is the handle and you will find there my last post that it was written after the amazing meetup that i got with shift cycling culture a couple of weeks ago a bit of context you know right about shift cycling culture the uh, association i would call it in this way that is doing a lot of things in order to change all the habits that all people that are in the outdoor in cycling but in everything out there in order to uh, preserve the nature out there and actually to keep all the environmental thing under control well we were together we have done this amazing creative meetup uh, a lot of creative people talking about what can, we can do actively to change things and you know how much i have on my side and how much i think about these things all the time also in producing this podcast well i came out with a lot of initiatives that are going to come in the near future but especially i wanted to do some uh, uh, resolutions for this year and for me it's going to be try to get something fixable all the time that i need to buy this year and buy as less things as possible and if i need to do it try to keep in mind that it's better to have something a bit more durable and fixable and made by somebody who's really responsible environmental wise instead of buying crap and then try not to get anything in carbon fiber even if it's amazing material and if i know for sure that there is there are some companies that are starting the recycling process on this material but we all know that actually at the moment carbon fiber is not completely fixable and not easily recyclable number four try to collect all the litter that i can find in my cycling way and also in my walking way or whatever especially on trails because they're gonna stay there forever i have to say that i'm pretty pretty lucky because here in switzerland it's really really good on this direction but still you will find some litter around and the number five try to not to fly only for riding and of course if this can happen because probably i need to go around for working or whatever well, I will try not to fly, but to move anyways and maybe use something a bit more sustainable for the environment. I don't know, uh, pack up completely a bus full of people so we can move in more people with less, uh, consuming less fuel, I would say, or going out with the train that is still the best way of transport that is gonna, yes, more sustainable one. These are my uh, biggest ideas on being a bit more sustainable in this year. I tried to do these things over and over all the time, but this time I decided to write things up and hopefully it can work better. And please hold me accountable on that. And if you see that I'm not doing anything that I'm saying right now, just write every way you want and everywhere you can so I can actually continue to stay on the 
bright side. Let's put it in this way. Thanks a lot, uh, Shift Cycling Culture. Go also there on Instagram to find everything that is coming out, also on their website and everything. And everybody, all of us, just remember that not just by being cyclists we can consider ourselves super clean superheroes. We need to act also accordingly. So this is the first part. It was really close to my heart and I wanted to say that. And happy 2021 to everybody. Uh, another thing that I want to say, I'm going then, now Now we are going to listen to this episode. This episode finally is an helmet episode. So an episode about helmets and safety and sustainability around it. And I was super, super lucky to talk uh, end of December, beginning of December uh, with Eric Richter, the uh, senior brand manager of Giro another company that is really really close to my heart and we talked about all of it and actually Eric was super happy not only to talk about it with me but also to show me a lot of parts and show me really how uh, the mechanic and the technique and the technology of helmets are inside of Giro's product and in general on helmets. For this reason, we had a video call and I recorded the video call and you will see and you can find this video call on YouTube. The link is down below. So if you want to listen to this episode, but with video to support all the things that we are doing, please go on YouTube and look for Broomwagon Podcast Helmets, I think. Anyways, the link is going to be down below and you will find the episode, exactly the same episode, but also with the video interview. Tell me what you think. Remember, you can subscribe and uh, yes, comment and do whatever you want on the video. And remember to subscribe, review and rate also this podcast wherever you are listening to it. Nothing else. I just want to tell you that this conversation was really cool and I'm super happy that I kicked off this new year with this episode. And I will talk to you at the end of the episode for anything else. Good morning, everybody. Actually, good morning to you, Eric. And today I'm super, super happy because finally I can have the uh, helmet talks that I was always dreaming on having it. With whom? Actually, I'm here with Eric from Giro. From You are in California at the moment, right? Yes, Santa Cruz, California. Oh, wow. When you say Santa Cruz, actually, everything that comes into my mind are amazing bikes and amazing waves to go with a surfboard. Is it like this? I think... Uh... I have to tell you the truth. Yes. Yes, it is like this. How many degrees do you have <laughs> at the moment? It's a great place if you like. Yeah. Uh, there have been some good waves uh, this week, actually. Um, typically, this time of year, we start to get some storms, so the surf gets a little larger. Uh, we've also had our first real rain, so the trails right now are in fantastic shape. Oh, wow. Oh, so wow. it's a good time of year. Well, well, I would say that yeah. actually I can tell you with no problems that probably I'm jealous. Yeah. I, I should be, right? Understandable. You're welcome to come here anytime. I know travel's hard right now and, you know, people are living with a lot of restrictions and it's, even here people are cautious, but we don't have restrictions at the moment, so we can still go out and ride. Um, so we're very lucky in that, in that way. Um, but uh, yeah, you're welcome anytime, man. 
Of course, of course. Once I'm going to be there, actually, I think I have to do a little tour. I have to go to LA, to some friends that they have there. I need to come over to Santa Cruz. I need to go to San Francisco as well. Same thing. Before, it was easier for two different yeah. reasons. Before, actually, there was the pandemic, and there was not the pandemic. And second thing, before, I was actually used to have a job that the second headquarter was in San Francisco. This job is not there anymore because it came together with a wave of pandemic. But still, traveling for leisure can be a good thing. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you can make plans right now. Absolutely. Make plans. I am making plans, I'm making projects, I'm actually planning to open up a bit more of, uh, let's say, marketing slash content career to, instead of to get of working for companies, but working with companies. So, let's see. <laughs> Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an exciting time. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. It is good to make these plans in this period, it's perfect. Well, Eric, yeah. so uh, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. You are in California, Santa Cruz, California. Actually, 9.15 in the morning for you is 6.15 for me. Uh, you are in Santa Cruz, California, and you are Eric Richter. Is it correct? Yes, all true. Is it a German surname? Yes. Okay, yeah. okay. My, I think probably my great-grandfather mm -hmm. uh, came to the U.S., uh, and my grandmother came from Ireland, actually. Okay, okay. So, yeah, yeah, on my father's side. And then my, my mom's side, actually, my family is a mix, I think, of uh, Portuguese, Dutch, and maybe some French. They actually uh, came through Puerto Rico. Oh, wow. My understanding, like, uh, yeah, prior to, I don't know, I think probably my great-great-grandfather mm -hmm. uh, was Puerto Rico actually so wow like many americans a little mix of a lot <laughs> that's but, awesome uh, yeah it means actually having an yeah, amazing yeah. background and this means as well something like shaping up yourself with a lot of different angles with the and also point of view on things and that's lovely yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 i like the fact that it's a mix yeah it's true well so eric richter but actually, if I can ask you this super direct question, who are you? I know that actually you are the senior brand manager for Giro. Giro helmets, Giro, Giro helmets, Giro apparels, everything in Giro. But everybody of us knows uh, know, uh, Giro because of safety and head protection. But let's start from you. Sure. Uh, so I've been with Giro now for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And prior to that, I worked at RockShox actually for about five years. Okay. Uh, I was the sports marketing manager mm -hmm. at RockShops from 1995 to 2000. So I had the privilege to work with many of the top mountain bike athletes uh, around the world, from Thomas Frischnick to Steve Pete, um, Julie Furtado, you know, a lot of uh, great people. Um, <clears throat> I got that job. Basically, I was a bike racer myself, amateur, and just got to know some of the RockShocks people, and they needed somebody that could help with sponsorship and coordinating that stuff, and so the job just progressed from there. Uh, at that time, I was a graphic artist, mm -hmm. and I had fallen in love with bikes and really mountain bikes primarily, but a little bit on the road, too. Um, Shortly after I finished high school, so probably my early 20s, um, just really fell in love with 
with riding bikes and racing. And of course, Santa Cruz is a great place. If you're a cyclist, there's fantastic road riding. There was a really um, great crew of people, obviously, on the mountain bike side. Rockshocks had an office here. Santa Cruz Bikes had just started. Bond Traeger was here. Um, Northern California has always just been a very bicycle-driven area. Um, you know, Richie and Bianchi and others had offices uh, in the Bay Area. So between the terrain and the culture... Um, you know, being a cyclist, this was just such a great place to be. It is, yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, I got to know a lot of people from racing. Uh, I raced single-speed mountain bikes for a number of years, uh, and that was its own special sort of crew of people. Uh, I raced cyclocross a bit, um, never at a professional level, but was an okay amateur. Um, and just did it mainly for fun. You know, I just really liked traveling and meeting people and camping and riding. And so uh, when the Giro opportunity came up, I was excited. It was a step for me in my career. And 20 years later, I'm still here. So <laughs> this means that you're having fun over there on your job with the people that are around you and all the community people that you are following. So it seems like, yeah, it's a great journey. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Uh, so. I'm married. We don't have children, but we have five cats. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Five cats and 15 bikes, you know? Yes. Um, <laughs> 15, is 15 bicycle only you or yourself or your, or your wife as well? My wife is not a cyclist. At all. How do you... My start? wife does you. Let's start this conversation first and then we're going to talk about safety in one second. Also, my girlfriend, she's not so much into bikes if we can say it in this way. And uh, how do you deal with it? Because from time to time, I feel super guilty because I'm out for a couple of days exploring or just one full day and then thinking, oh, damn it. So this is weekend. This is probably the yeah. time that we should spend time together. But also on the other side, I always say to my girlfriend, you don't want me around without being on the bike because if I don't go on the bike, I'm really, really a bad person. So I try to balance in this way or going super late in the night or starting super early in the morning or just saying, okay, either deserve it because otherwise you deserve it as well because you don't want to have me in a super bad mood around yeah it's the same for me um you know cycling is a hobby that takes time it is you know when my my wife does yoga on saturdays and it's one hour and a half mm -hmm. and sometimes they have a little social time right now they do it on zoom um you know they used to go out and meet at a cafe or something after class and whatnot so it's a very contained uh thing whereas cycling is you know it's not uncommon for us to be out riding and you know you say you'll be home in three hours and it takes four um so I, i try to balance that i i rarely go out and ride as long as i would really like to but that's okay i've got other parts of my life that need attention and that i enjoy you know i work in the garden at home wow we have home projects like most uh -huh. people in santa cruz uh And I work a little bit on the weekends also. You know, this is not a, it's not a nine to five job for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, you just find balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. Uh, not talking, <laughs> I don't want to go too much on that because we need to talk about helmets, but uh, talking about uh, life at Giro, okay, forget for five minutes that we are 
into a pande in pandemic times. But how does it work, actually? You meet often for team rides, company rides, group rides together with your colleagues or just inviting people, for example, that you are sponsoring, athletes or explorer or whoever, just to have, I don't know, one day of riding instead of having a meeting for doing team building or just lunch rides. How does it work? Sure. Lunch rides were a pretty normal part of culture here before the pandemic. Yeah. Um, you know, Jiro is a small group of people, actually. I think most people would be surprised at how, you know, how small um, the team at Jiro is. But uh, we are close-knit. Can I ask you how many of you are? Uh, well, it's a little bit tricky because we're part of a bigger company. Mm. Ah, so, yes. for instance, uh, the sales managers work for more than Jiro. Um, but Jiro people specifically right now, it's about... 35, 40. Uh, and then, you know, we have salespeople who work on the different brands. Um, and then, you know, people in the warehouse obviously work on brands. Uh, so, you know, Jiro is part of a much bigger organization of about 600 people. Um, but the core Jiro team, people who only work on Jiro, uh, whether it's on the bicycle business or the snow business, it's maybe 35, 40 people. Okay, makes sense. So, so it's a small group. So you were saying we were talking about lunch rides. Sorry, when I interrupted you. Yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, so lunch rides was was a very normal part of life here, uh, and certainly we're lucky enough to have athletes come by sometime. Um, and occasionally we do group trips for work. Uh, right before the pandemic, most of us went to go ski for a day up at Mammoth Mountain. We had a, a company ski day just to enjoy the year and celebrate a good year. Um, so we get to do some of that stuff. Uh, certainly our Grinduro event. Mm -hmm. um, it's not mandatory for employees to come to, but we certainly encourage everybody that wants to come to come and help out to host that event and enjoy um, that weekend, which is always super fun. Uh, so yeah, there's good camaraderie here. Uh, and riding is certainly a big part of that. Well, I'm just telling you that when you are going to come and if you are going to come to Grain Duro here in Europe, it was supposed to be the Grain Duro here in Switzerland this year. And actually, it was an event that I wanted to prepare and to go together with my brother because it doesn't ride at all. And then I said, OK, no worries. Come over. Let's spend the weekend together. So you're not going to stay with your family. I'm not going to stay with my girlfriend. We're going to stay together, spend some time. We never do it. <laughs> Just because I want you to enjoy the best of writing because that's what Grinduro is. That's what everybody continues telling me is the good balance with the writing and parting and spending time with good people. Yeah. And I want him to experience yeah. that. But 2020. Yeah. Well, we've rescheduled for 2021. And Grinduro.com has all the dates. I think the only event that's not finalized is the event in Canada. Okay. But we will have events in 2021 in California, in Switzerland, uh, in Wales, up in the UK. Uh, we'll be down in Australia at the end of 2021 for the first time. So there's definitely an opportunity for people to get out and travel and meet some new people, ride some new trails and have an amazing time. It's always a wonderful weekend. Yeah. Perfect. So Swiss, the Swiss one is going to be really 
on my plan also for also for this year. I will see actually if my brother will be convinced to come over. At the end of the day, last year was supposed to be Lanzenaide. That is two hours with the train from my place. It's really here because I live in Zurich. Ah. That's why. Yeah. I live in Zurich, so it was super far. So super close. So let's see what's gonna happen for next year. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. We might be even closer to you than we we were going to be. We're working out the venue now. Okay, perfect. But I think it'll be close to Zurich. Perfect. Uh, can I ask you where, or you cannot tell me any? Can I ask Paul? Maybe you cannot tell me anything. I you think. Can he, ask Paul. But he neither as well. Paul I don't think he's gonna tell me anything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But okay. It's, it's uh, it's an event we're super excited about to be right in the heart of Europe with Grinduro, and we know there are lots of people who haven't yet been able to attend the event, and um, it's just so much fun. Perfect. And it's such a good chance to meet new people. So. Really looking forward to that. If you're coming over, give me a shout. You can come over a couple of days in advance and we can ride the bicycle here in Zurich. Huh? I'm going to have you helping us to set up. <laughs> do it. Do it for sure. I'm going to yeah. be there with you helping. It's not a problem at all. <laughs> Great. Super. Thank you. Uh, so we were saying helmets. Let's kick off the helmet conversation. Since... Yeah. Uh, when I have memory, basically, I always have the image in my mind of the Giro helmets. And actually, uh, probably uh, talking about head protection and everything, the first thing that comes into my mind is putting together the two names, Giro and Mips. For me, they were something that were always together. Um, now, my question here is... First of all, am I saying it correctly? Everything started together. So MIPS started together with Giro first. And the second thing is, think about that I'm a, I'm out, I'm a newbie. So I've been riding the bicycle for a bit, not commuting. I wanted to be, I want to go a bit more uh, pro, let's say. And let's say that I'm mm -hmm. going gravel riding because everybody does that. And it's a good mix between uh, road cycling and uh, um, off-road cycling. Then... Uh, I'm new in the market and I have to choose between a traditional helmet, a MIPS helmet, and a spherical helmet. What is what and why something is cheaper or more expensive than the other? And is a normal traditional helmet as safe as a super expensive one? Yeah. So we'll start with the last question first. Go ahead. Yeah. And go... Yeah, so uh, I have some cutaway helmets here, and I brought these because I think, um, you know, even if people can't see everything, it will help you and I to talk about this a little bit. Helmets uh, are made of a few simple uh, materials that do different things. So when you think about the first helmets that Jiro made, they were really just uh, the foam. The foam is called EPS, which is expanded polystyrene. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, a material that's similar to what people know as styrofoam. And so people often say, oh, you know, it's a cheap foam. But in fact, um, EPS is a very remarkable material for a couple of reasons. First, it's very, very light. Um, and we can make very complex shapes with it. Um, so this allows us to create helmets that are beautiful, that are lightweight, that look good on your head, um, you know, and at the same time, 
it's a very, very efficient material when it comes to managing the energy of an impact. Um, and the way that it works is the foam is like tens of thousands of tiny airbags <laughs> that are all molded together. So when you hit a helmet, basically the foam crushes and cracks. And that's how it absorbs the energy of the impact so that the energy doesn't transmit through your skull to your brain. Um, if you don't have a helmet and you hit your head in, a, in an accident, basically what happens is your brain moves around inside your skull and it, it bounces off the inside of the skull and that causes bruising or you know rot sudden rotation um, that can strain the brain tissue and that's brain injury. Um, it might be a concussion, it could be some other type of brain injury, but that's what a helmet is trying to prevent, is that that movement and the damage to your brain or the injury to your brain. So by compressing in a crash, this foam is basically helping to absorb that energy, much like an airbag in a car or a crumple zone in a car. Mm -hmm. The outer shell is polycarbonate, so it's a, it's a thin plastic, essentially. And this acts as both an exoskeleton um, to help sort of give the helmet shape and reinforcement. Um, and it can be thicker or thinner. You can leave areas unexposed. Um, but basically, that skin helps to add some strength uh, and durability to the helmet. Um, and it can also help deflect some things. Um, so it's definitely part of the overall composition of the helmet. And then inside the helmet, you have uh, the fit system, which is used to stabilize the helmet on your head and kind of customize the fit. So that adjustment um, really helps the helmet to conform to your head so that the helmet doesn't move around so much. The straps secure the helmet to your head. Um, and all of these things work together to provide protection, a level of protection. So... Having said that, we never talk about helmets being safer or more or less safe than other helmets. Um, there are a few reasons why, but the main reason is that every accident is a unique event. Uh, so the speed at which you're going, the angle at which you hit something, the, the thing that you hit, whether it's the road or a rock or a tree branch, um, you know, do you spin when you fall? Is it raining? All of these things are part of the physics equation that is the impact. And it's different every single time. So because there are so many variables in crashes, we can't always say that the helmet is going to provide more protection or less protection. It's, it simply provides an added measure of protection. Um, and a helmet can protect what it doesn't cover. So, you know, in theory, a full face helmet might be safer, in quotes, mm -hmm. than a traditional road racing helmet simply because it provides more coverage. So we don't refer to helmets as safer or less safe. What we say is buy a helmet that you want to wear, that's designed for the style of riding that you do, and that provides as much coverage as you're comfortable with. Uh, and if you do those things, 
a helmet is going to be effective in most scenarios. Okay. So that said, MIPS, um, which we can explain in more in more detail, we think of MIPS as adding an, an extra measure of protection or an added layer of protection. And the reason for that is because the MIPS system basically has, uh, there's a plastic layer inside the helmet and it's attached to the foam with elastomers. And you can, if you're seeing this on screen, it, it can move a little bit. Yeah. So the theory behind MIPS is that in the first few thousandths of a second, when you hit the ground, the MIPS system can slide inside that helmet. And what that does is it, it redirects some of the energy away from the brain like a tennis ball with spin, that, that spinning or that movement redirects some of the energy that would otherwise be transmitted into the foam or to your head. So it helps to reduce the total amount of energy that's being transmitted because it's, some of it's being redirected through motion. Um, and that's the theory behind it. And the research that MIPS did around the importance of that motion was actually inspired by um, studies of boxing. Mm -hmm. And what they found was that the knockout punch in boxing was not necessarily associated just with brute force, but with the head being moved very rapidly and the brain not moving with it. So basically by, by reducing that rotational force that's transmitted to the brain, you can help to reduce brain injury. Okay. So it's very interesting science. Um, and MIPS, it's based in Sweden. Um, they did years and years of research before it came to market. And Jira was not the first to bring MIPS technology to market, but we were the first to bring it uh, down in price and across you know, as much of the helmet line as we could. Because we think it's it's an added measure of safety, and and if we can do that for people, we we want to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, continuing on this track of uh, the safety and everything around it. Uh, so actually, then we mention the classic normal helmets and the MIPS helmets, and we actually said that. Of course, any kind of hurt and crash and whatever is different. So basically, the most important thing is having a size where you feel comfortable, tight and covered. And uh, actually having something like um, the MIPS is just an extra layer that will actually help you in uh, whatever crash happens that actually makes you... Um, let's say, your brain moving faster than the, the, your head hitting the floor or hitting whatever, the ground or, or whatever. So actually, we can basically say that the, both of the systems, normal system, traditional system, and MIPS, are both of them really, let's say, protective for your brain, right, or for your head. Yes, there have been some studies done, um, and it depends on the, the accident, but... Uh, there's a famous study that was done, I think maybe 20 years ago, that said helmets are effective up to 85% of the time uh, where your head is, you know, where you crash, basically. They're, they're 
very, very effective at reducing the severity of brain injury um, and in many cases even preventing a brain injury. Mm-hmm. So um, in our test lab, we have the fixtures that you know you can drop the helmet onto different anvils as part of the test protocol. And if I was to go down there and show you that um, the head form and the anvil, I could drop the head form onto the anvil with no helmet from a height of maybe 150 millimeters and generate enough energy that that would represent a potential brain injury. Um, Most of our helmet testing involves drops anywhere from, say, you know, one and a half meters to two meters. Um, And it has to reduce energy enough to, to theoretically prevent or reduce those injuries. So that's a very significant difference. And it shows you, gives you some idea of how effective uh, these helmets can be. Yes, it's 10 times bigger, right? We're talking about uh, 15 centimeters, basically. And actually, 100 times bigger. And one meter and a half. And yeah, it's kind of a difference. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's very remarkable. They seem quite simple, um, but they, they can be very, very effective. So, and I know that you had asked about uh, MIPS versus spherical. Yes, absolutely. And I have some cutaways, so I can kind of show you. This is a, a cutaway view of a traditional helmet with what I would call a first-generation MIPS system. And I don't know how well you can see this, but you can see this is the MIPS slip plane. This mm. is the piece of plastic that moves yeah. inside the helmet. This is the helmet's fit system. You have the foam liner and the outer shell. So all of these are separate uh, pieces that are sort of connected. Um, you know, you can see the elastomers for the MIPS system here. Um, but you can also see where this slip plane, maybe you can see this, maybe not very well, but it overlaps the fit system. So, you know, MIPS was something that was added to helmets originally. And one of the things that uh, Giro helped to pioneer was better integration of MIPS with the helmet. So this is a more modern um, version of a MIPS helmet, what we call integrated MIPS. And you can see the same plastic slip plane, the foam, the outer shell, but the fit system and the slip plane are now a single piece. Okay. So rather than two pieces that overlap, you have a single piece. And the benefit of this is a more comfortable helmet because we're eliminating those overlaps so that the helmet fits in the way that we intended it to. And it simply makes the the whole system more integrated, more sleek. We can optimize ventilation a little bit more. Uh, It's slightly lighter. We're using less plastic, which is good for the environment. Um, So these are all the benefits of integrated MIPS. And then a couple of years ago, we debuted spherical MIPS. Yeah. Um, which you can see in this cutaway. And basically what we've done is instead of having the plastic on the interior surface of the helmet, the slip plane is now in the middle of two layers of foam. So you can kind of see that here. Mm -hmm. Um, You can see that the system moves, but the slip plane is away from your head now. So this allows even better sort of interior channeling of ventilation, more padding, more sweat absorption. 
Um, it's very, very good, consistent performance of the system. And it's just more sleek and elegant and integrated. So the helmet fits better. It's cooler. Um, you know, it's, it's just a more advanced execution of the system. And this is something that we invented here in our test lab. Uh, and Giro and Bell are the only brands that have that technology. Perfect. And is it still, we can call it still a MIPS system? So is a, or is it 100% Bell and Giro brevet and patent? Yeah. So we call it spherical technology powered by MIPS. And basically, uh, the system relies on the MIPS patent, which is those elastomers and the slip plane. But the engineering of the ball and socket design is something that we invented here. So it is still a MIPS-equipped helmet, but we say it's spherical technology powered by MIPS. Perfect. Um, just, I have actually, because this actually will help me also with a question that I want to ask later on. Um, how is the relationship between MIPS and Giro and Bell and, yeah, your, basically your company? Uh, are you working super close together? Giro owns MIPS. How does it work? What is it? Sure. So MIPS uh, was started in Sweden by a team that involved some medical uh, and scientific research. And uh, it is available in almost every brand of helmets now. It is the leading um, solution to address rotational energy um, in helmets. And not just bicycle helmets. They are expanding to motorcycle helmets and other things. Okay. Um, there are other... Uh, companies that have technologies with similar benefit, but MIPS was the first and really is the leading uh, solution, we think. So we have been working with MIPS for a, uh, a long time, probably 10 years now. Mm. Um, and for the first few years, um, we collaborated to better understand the technology before Giro brought it into uh, our helmets. As I said, there were other helmets that had the technology first in the market, but we spent two or three years, I think, um, kind of challenging MIPS and some of their um, presentation. Um, you know, we discussed test, me test methodology and we just basically worked with them to, to validate the system before we implemented it. We, you know, our company, we have our own test lab called the Dome. Um, it's been part of our company from the very beginning, and it's a really important part of the innovation process for us. So we, we don't simply buy something off the shelf and put it into the helmet without doing our own testing. It's very, very important for us to not only validate it, but to really work to understand it. Because as you see with Spherical, we've already taken the MIPS technology and evolved it in ways that MIPS didn't. And that's really important because we want the, the helmet to be elegant and high performance, but also to integrate these things in a way that's, that allows us to keep improving them. So we collaborate with MIPS. Um, it's very, very important. And then MIPS also, any helmet that has MIPS technology and gets the little yellow MIPS sticker, um, MIPS has to do their own testing on to ensure that it meets their standards. Okay. So every single helmet that we make goes back to MIPS. They do their testing. They give us the thumbs up. 
Um, and then it goes out to third-party testing for CE or CPSC or the Australia standard um, to make sure that it's certified for sale. And then it comes to market. So there's a constant flow of communication and collaboration between us and NIMS. Perfect, perfect. Um, let's say I'm thinking about the next question because there are two things that I would love to know. Uh, and I will start from this one. So if you think, and actually that's what you say, that um, MIPS anyways is a really, and all the, the changes that you are making, the evolution that you are making, the MIPS system is pretty, pretty, pretty uh, important and super effective method for protection, right? Now, I don't want to ask you this question because actually you are doing it as Jiro, right? But why do you think some companies, and there are some Elmet company, I'm not going to name them, but we all know what we are talking about, why they are not going to, use or why they're not using the MIPS or the MIPS system or why they're not using any system for this protection yeah. at all. So only using just the foam and everything. Yeah. Um, not all helmet companies have the same investment in uh, engineering and development and testing. You know, we have a a test lab literally right in the middle of this building wow <laughs> that has been part of part of Jiro for you know since we started in 1985 um, and it's expensive um, our dome test lab has probably 40 to 50 different test fixtures some required for you know basic certification evaluation others do real R&D work, um, you know, the, we spent, you know, I don't know, I would estimate a, a hundred thousand US dollars to basically invent a test fixture called BRAD, um, and it is basically the mass of a human torso mm. with an articulated neck and a head formed with sensors. And it swings on a pendulum to an angled surface. So we can, we can basically create a crash scenario um, and measure that for not just linear impact, but rotational impact energy. Um, this was something that we worked with a company that does engineering for crash scenarios for automotive companies. Uh, there's no other company in the world we know of that has this test fixture, and we did this to understand and validate MIPS. Um, we are the only helmet company that I know of um, that has a test fixture that MIPS developed called the SLED, which basically has a, a sliding table, and you drop the helmet onto this table, and you can measure like very rapid uh, rotational acceleration. This was a test that MIPS invented. We spent the money to have our own version of that. Um, so, you know, we do that because we want to understand uh, the technology, understand how it works, and understand how to make it better. Um, and that's one part of it, but you have to have engineering staff that can, you know, do the work to integrate this and make it comfortable. It adds cost to the helmet. Um, it adds development time and, um, some companies just don't make that same investment, I guess. Um, 
right now they don't have to because any MIPS equipped helmet and the benefit of rotational energy management, it's not mandated by the current helmet standards anywhere in the world. Um, we expect that that will change in the near future. So I presume that those brands, whether they're winning the Tour de France or other things without MIPS, um, that that is going to change. Um, and maybe they'll be ready for it. Maybe they won't. I don't know. But, um, you know, we feel better giving our athletes equipment that provides that added measure of protection. Um, we feel better about making that affordable for consumers, um, whether it's somebody that's three years old just learning how to ride a bike or 103 years old riding down the path or, you know, you as my friend who's riding gravel and getting rowdy on drop bars. I, would, I feel better knowing that you have a helmet with leading technology. Awesome. Yeah, great. Great answer. Thank you. Um, so I usually receive a lot of questions and typically uh, the question that I receive, apart from the one that probably I mentioned before, that is, okay, uh, I just got a bike now, I need to get an helmet and uh, start riding the bike, but I don't want to spend too much. So usually the answer that I, keep, uh, that I give this to these people is, okay, just go to a shop, put on your head something that is comfortable and fits your head because this is super important. And every time that you will see a CE mark, so here is the classic protocol for safety uh, here in Europe, every time that you see the CE mark, it should be a certified good helmet. Of course, you can have something more like the technologies that we talk about, but basically the difference in price if it's certified is the technology that is inside or uh, the weight. Do you think that this, so just look at what is affordable for you and get something that is C marked. Don't buy something on the internet that there is not a mark because these are for sure bad helmets. Do you think that this is enough for people that are starting on the bike? Yeah, so um, you definitely, uh, by law, any helmet that's for sale has to be certified for sale in the market where it is being sold. So if you live anywhere in Europe, the CE mark is mandatory. Yeah. Um, you may be able to buy helmets online um, from other places with other certifications, but generally speaking, companies are pretty good about that. Legitimate companies are pretty good about that. Um, and as I said, you know, a helmet with MIPS adds a measure of protection um, for certain impacts. A full face helmet adds a measure of protection for certain impacts. So the easiest thing I would say is make sure that the helmet is certified. Um, but ultimately, buy a helmet that you like, that's designed for the type of riding that you do, and that fits well. Um, the helmet doesn't work properly if it doesn't fit well. Um, and it's not going to be comfortable or one that you want to wear if it's too bulky and heavy. You know, if you're, if you're doing a lot of long climbing in the summer, in the Alps, you probably don't want a full face helmet. You know, it's going to be really hot and it's going to be really heavy and you're going to notice that. Um, so buy a helmet that's designed for the kind of riding you like to do that fits great um, and that you feel good about wearing because if you don't feel good about wearing the helmet and you don't wear the helmet, it does no good at all. Of course. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say. 
<laughs> Another question that I receive a lot. I'm starting as a uh, I'm starting doing gravel. Should I buy or should I get a road helmet or um cross country helmet? <laughs> It's really these are real questions. I receive them. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, we see World Cup cross country racers use our ether helmet. This helmet here. Um, I love you know, the color. This is not, yeah, this was from the Giro. Yeah. The real Giro, the Italia. Yeah. Uh, this was designed for high end, you know, road racing and, and road enthusiasts, but cross country mountain bike racers love this helmet because it's very light, it's very well vented, it has spherical technology, so it has that added measure of protective capability. Um, But it's it's you know it has no visor or peak as some people say um, you know it has good coverage but a mountain bike helmet probably has a little more coverage in the rear typically yeah here yeah, yeah so again what I say is uh, you know buy the helmet that you you know that you're going to wear um, and that fits you well if you most people that ride gravel um, with drop bars tend towards this type of helmet but You know, we see a lot of people, they wear mountain bike style clothing when they ride gravel. They wear this type of helmet. That's okay. Um, it really comes down to the terrain that you're riding, how you ride, and how much coverage you, you want, whether you like the, the visor or not. It's, it's your choice. Okay. Uh, usually I uh, ride with the road helmet, first of all, because I come from the road. And second thing, because I always had one of those capellinos, you know, one of those little hats, cycling hats yeah. of my head. So that's why I don't need the visor in yeah. front. But I can completely understand that Me actually... Also. I don't ah. have so much hair, so I always wear a hat. Absolutely. I have a hat a for the sun, and usually I have also, because I'm the same here, <laughs> <laughs> and they yeah. usually have the uh, the one that actually is a bit, let's say, warmer for, for the winter. That's why, that's another thing I tend to buy. So I'm in the middle, so I'm between uh, sizes. I am in the middle between one of, I think I am actually one centimeter inside of the medium, but usually I take a large because because of the hat that I have behind it. So it fits a bit better and they don't come back with all the signs and stuff. Yeah. 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 And it's every helmet, you know, we have a, a head form that um, we design the helmets around. It's very consistent, but different helmets can fit or feel a little different on your head. And it's really because of where the helmet contacts your head. You know, each helmet is a little bit different. And so um, maybe this is a better example. Um, you know, they're, they're similar, but uh, what I have found after 20 years of fitting people in helmets and talking about helmets is that um, every millimeter can make a difference. So if you, you know, you know that you're a medium, but you try a helmet on and it doesn't quite feel comfortable or whatever, try a different model in that same size and see if it's better, um, you know. One of the benefits of the adjustable fit system is in your situation, you know, hey, I could fit into a medium, but I like to have a hat. Sometimes my hat is thicker or thinner. This system typically has five to seven centimeters of adjustment. So that's a huge range to really make sure that it's proper, um, you know, it's stable and comfortable on your head. 
Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Must, uh, it doesn't have to actually to wash around. That's the most important thing. It needs to be there. It needs to be in your head. It doesn't need to hurt. That's super important. Uh, and actually, I can tell you that I tried so many brands of helmets in my life or whatever. I'm not going to say that actually at the moment I have a Giro because you are here, but is it? it is actually. I have a Sinta here, uh, but I have also an old laser helmet here, some other helmets here. So yeah, uh, and actually also from brand to brand, it changed a lot because they have different shapes and stuff. Yes. Uh, yes. So it's yeah, super important. Absolutely. I know the bell head form and fit is a little bit more of a, it's rounder. It's a little closer to a circle. Giro is a little more of an oval. Yes. Um, and that's, every company has its own uh, fit. You know, Bell's helmet head form started actually from uh, a head form that was developed for the Army a long, long time ago. And Giro started with data from the International Standards Organization. Um, and that was a more global head form. Uh, and it had a slightly more oval shape. So... You know, things evolve over time, but but it starts from each brand's own point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm super happy for that because I have a novel head, so it's perfect. <laughs> Another question that I receive really a lot and is, when should I change my helmet because uh i have for example classic things i have my help and now helmet now i've been using it for four years do you think i have to change it i found the dent on uh, the foam do you think i have to change it uh, i actually dropped my helmet from my table while i was getting a coffee in the middle of the ride should i change my helmet what answer you can give me to that yeah this is a very common question and uh the answer is Pretty straightforward, but I'll add a couple of details. So we recommend that people replace their helmets every three to five years. Um, that is a very general recommendation. It's, it's not mandatory. Um, it's our sort of guidelines that we work with. And that is based on just observing uh, how people use the helmet, how people care for the helmet, what helmets look like after a few years, what they go through. Um, <clears throat> and it's a little bit like a tire. <clears throat> you know, some people wear through tires very quickly. Other people might not uh, wear through them as quickly. It really depends on how much use, how well you care for it, um, if it gets knocked around a lot or if you are involved in a crash. So what I would say is three to five years is the general recommendation. So long as the helmet is well cared for and in good condition. If you knock the helmet off the table at the cafe, inspect it carefully, make sure that there are no cracks or no dents. Um, typically that type of uh, impact to the helmet doesn't do much damage because there's no weight inside the helmet. Okay. It just falls. Yeah. And it's not very heavy, so it doesn't do much damage. Um, if you see dents, uh, you should consider replacing the helmet. If you see cracks, you should not ride the helmet. You should replace the helmet because a crack is a sure sign that the helmet has absorbed enough energy to crack and it takes a lot. Um, so if you continue to ride in that helmet, it's yes, it's better than no helmet, 
but it's not providing the level of protection that it was designed for. And because we can't predict how hard or fast you might crash and how much force, we want you to have the full protective capability that the helmet is designed to provide. And if it's dented or cracked, it's probably not going to do that. So keep it in good shape, you know, wipe it with water, gentle soap every once in a while. It's okay to wash the pads um, to keep the helmet feeling fresh. Many of the pads now are antimicrobial as well. That also helps. But, uh, you know, just treat it with care and, and, you know, three to five years can be quite normal. If you're racing and training every day, maybe you'd replace it sooner. But for most people, three to five years is good. And helmets get better over time. Of course. You know, this was a MIPS helmet five years ago. This is an equivalent MIPS helmet now. You know, the system is integrated. It's, it's changed and it's gotten better. It's more comfortable. It's more vented. Um, you know, so helmets do, do improve over time. The performance does. Uh, I want to ask you another question. And I think that here the answer will be super straightforward. Traveling with the helmets. So how mm-hmm. should I do? I should put it in my bag. I should pad it inside. I should put a layer of you have fabric. To wear it on the airplane. Uh, wear it on the airplane, even better, because in this way you know that it's not gonna crash. I usually bring. So that's what they do. I usually bring it with me, hundred percent of the time. So not uh, delivering and putting it downstairs or whatever. No, it's gonna come with me. And usually, if I have it and I should have one, I put it in something like a bag. It's a fabric bag. And I put there inside, yeah. and then I put it, I hang it on my backpack, but it rolls yeah. a bit too much. Or if I have space, thing that I never do, in my hand luggage, I put it inside and I try to pad it with T-shirts and stuff. Yeah. It's enough. I think, again, you just, you want to be sure that it's not going to get squashed by something um, or banged around too much. Um, you know, it's pretty common that people... Do like you say, they either hand carry it in a small bag um, or maybe they clip it securely to a backpack so it doesn't move around too much. Um, but if you can avoid packing it in your suitcase and putting it downstairs um, or under the train or whatever, that's that's a good idea. Perfect. So just any, you know, treat it like something that's breakable. Absolutely. It's a good guideline. And it's something breakable that actually prevents your head to break. So it's actually a double layer of uh, attention that he needs. <laughs> yes. Uh, perfect. Yes. So, okay. Uh, I spent five awesome years of riding with my helmet. I didn't crash it, but so the, it has no dance, it has no cracks, but I want to, to yeah. change it because I think it's time and I want to buy this new super shining green, olive green, even if green is not my favorite color, but let's say Bordeaux uh, helmet that is there. How does it work? Because you told me that there are a lot of different materials that are putting on uh, together an helmet. There is the plastic on top of it. There is the foam inside. There is the beep system if it's not integrated. You have the fabric of the strings. You have the clips. How should I do in order to make, to, yeah, to recycle an helmet that is so complex? Do you have a system in place? Unfortunately, no. And this is the one thing that I've, you know, I, I wish was different. Um, we have done some work in this area, but um, currently there is no really good way um, to, you can't recycle a whole helmet, basically. Um, the foam, one of the 
One of the benefits of EPS foam is that it's very inert um, to environmental factors. So when you think about a bicycle helmet and you've been riding in this for five years, let's say, if you go out and ride right now, maybe it's, uh, you know, zero Celsius or five degrees Celsius. In the summer, you go riding, uh, you know, along the Riviera in Italy or something, and maybe it's 35 degrees or 40 degrees. That's a huge range in temperature. But the helmet has to perform the same way. Oh, yeah. It can't be affected by the heat or the, it can't get firm when it's cold or soft when it's hot. And that's one of the benefits of EPS material is the performance is very, very consistent whether it's zero degrees or 40 degrees, yeah. whether it's wet or dry. Um, we can't have a material that's affected by these everyday changes in the environment. Yeah. So, um, you know, certainly there may be plastic pieces that you can trim out or, or um, pull out, but in general, helmets are not yet biodegradable or highly recyclable. Um, we have done some work on uh, some research with companies in other countries on foams that are biodegradable in certain scenarios, um, using different materials for webbing, you know, various plastics, designing the helmet to be more um, easily disassembled so that you can compost the foam and recycle the plastic. Um, <clears throat> those technologies are just not quite ready to be commercialized yet um and some of them like the foam that we looked at it's in very high demand for packaging right now you know if you buy a television it's packed with a bunch of foam yes and those companies are realizing that they need to reduce their environmental impact so they're trying to find alternatives because that foam is used once and then thrown away um, you know, this is something at least that you buy and it's durable. And if it's well-made, it lasts five years. That's better than buying it and putting it in the trash. So um, there's a lot of demand for these materials. And helmets are very, very complex shapes to mold. You know, there's lots of detail and channels and things. So it takes a very high grade of material to make these complex forms. And a lot of the recycled or biodegradable materials um, maybe aren't quite as evolved yet. So I can only tell you that it's an ongoing project, um, and I wish we were more. Uh, I wish we were further along in this journey, but uh, at the end of the day, we cannot and we will not compromise the performance of the helmet. Um, because we can't, you know, we, we want to be sure that it performs the way that it needs to, to provide the protective capability that you need as a rider. Um, what we have been able to do is make very significant reductions in the environmental footprint of packaging. So all Giro helmets come in a box that's made with post-consumer uh, recycled cardboard. Uh, we use the least amount of cardboard possible for the box design. The ink is not toxic um, and we use less ink. Um, so the box looks very natural. Some dealers don't like the box. They don't think it looks very premium, but 
it's a box. It's the thing that needs to protect the helmet until it's sold and then it gets recycled. So making that less environmentally impactful is a good thing. And so we do that. You know, the gloves, the header card is as small as it can be. It has a simple decal that gets removed, very little ink. It's recycled cardboard. Um, so we, we're doing what we can around the edges to continue to make progress on this. Um, at the end of the day, right now, helmets, unfortunately, are not as recyclable as we would like. Perfect. So actually, the thing that you can tell me is that at the moment, something that I can do with my helmet, I have actually three that I have to trash. And I was, I can, I swear, I was waiting to talking with somebody in the industry to ask this question. And actually, the thing that you are telling me, the better thing, the best thing that I can do is take out all the plastic parts and recycle those ones. Everything else, all the rest, upcycle it. It's always a good solution. Upcycle stuff, I believe. It's the same thing that I'm doing with tires because you can do anything else and burn them. So upcycle them or otherwise trash it and let actually all the, yeah, uh, the wasting yeah. system do their stuff. Yeah, if the helmet, you know, if the helmet is four or five years old, but it's still in good condition that you want a new helmet um, for your gravel riding, then keep that helmet as a spare. You know, if you if you do crash in this helmet and crack it, you'll have one at home that's not damaged, even if it's a little bit old. Again, it's going to be more protective than nothing. So use that for your trips to the market or your, you know, trip to the pub or whatever. Um, you know, you don't you don't have to just throw them away if you get a new one. Um, it's sometimes good to have a spare or a backup. Maybe you have a friend who comes to visit and needs a helmet. You know, a lot of people travel and forget their helmet. It's normal. Um, so sometimes good to have a spare. Perfect. Okay. Okay. That's what I want to do. Um, but actually, you just introduced to this topic because, okay, we are not still at the moment that we can recycle, right? The helmet. We are not still at the moment that we can uh, make anything, let's say, helmets more durable or whatever, because this is going to affect actually the, the protection that you're going to have from an helmet. How, but you told me that actually you're working around that with the packaging and everything like that. What about the production? Do you have a good level of environmental friendly production for all the product, I would say? Now we are talking not only helmets, but we can talk about shoes, for example. You're doing amazing shoes or apparels or gloves or... Yeah, it, it varies. You know, we make a lot of different products and some, uh, some products we're able to make um, some real noticeable changes to reduce uh, the environmental burden. Shoes would be one of those things um, where, um, you know, when we first came out with knit shoes four or five years ago, um, and I could grab one to show you if needed, but uh, the exciting thing about knit shoes is that the upper has less uh, waste when you create it. So the upper of a shoe starts as a flat piece and it is then attached to the to the bottom of the shoe and formed. So a traditional microfiber shoe, that upper piece is stamped from a larger sheet of material, and there's always some excess. The knit upper is basically knit to the shape of the shoe and has very little excess. So um, you know that right there eliminates some waste and scrap. Um, certain things like the buckle. Uh, on a helmet, oh, of course, nobody's buckle right here. The company that produces these buckles, yeah, 
um, has, I think, a, an excess material or scrap rate of 0.1%. Wow. Um, you know, they're, they're just very, very efficient at um, utilizing the material and capturing it and reusing all the excess little plastic bead. Um, so there's, there's very little scrap there. Um, even things like helmet straps, we do different lengths of straps for the different sizes to help minimize the amount of excess strap that you might have to trim off. Um, so it's, it varies. Um, the factories are all over the world. Some areas, you know, China is making really significant uh, changes to their power. You know, they're using less oil and less coal and more hydroelectric and solar. Um, so, you know, we hope that over time, all of these factors will continue to improve. Um, and certainly we look for ways, whether it's, um, you know, with our apparel, we have Renew Series material. So literally um, our sport and expert level jerseys are made with recycled nylon and polyester. So recycled plastic bottles and fishing nets that are taken out of the sea and reprocessed. So we're literally pulling trash out of the ocean to make cycling jerseys. Um, so each product category has its own story. Um, helmets is really challenging for the environmental reductions, but things like apparel, we can make really big changes. So, you know, we're not the biggest bike apparel company or the best known brand, but that's an area where we're way ahead of most everybody else in terms of environmental sustainability. Perfect. Eric, I just have the last question and then I will let you be. You were talking already, you were projecting um, your talks on this direction. What's next? What do you think is going to be next? Talking about protection and then talking about helmets, everything, not only the helmets for the bike, but snow or whatever, or also apparel. Just if you have something that can tell us also just spreading a bit more the values and the identity of Giro with events like Rainduro and everything. What's next? What do you have in mind next? Sure. Uh, I think, you know, from the, the fun side of things, events like Rainduro um, are really valuable because uh, it's not just about having fun for us as a company. It's staying Uh, engaged with riders that are passionate and learning about what they're into and inspired by. You know, gravel bikes and gravel events like Grinduro, there was nothing like that five years ago. Absolutely. Um, and, and a gravel bike then maybe had a cyclocross tire that was, you know, 33C, um, 700, and, you know, now it could be 650 by 42 or 700 by 40. The geometry of the bikes has changed. Um, people are, you know, it's getting closer to mountain biking. Like, you know, events like riding 100 miles through the plains in Kansas, that's a cool thing, but it's maybe not as fun as Grinduro. So, you know, the spectrum for gravel is wider. The clothing that people wear, the shoes, the helmets. By doing events like this, we keep both learning from our customers and inspiring our customers. So it's very important. Uh, and I see, you know, that we'll continue to do five or six Grinduros a year, hopefully, for a long time to come. Um, 
On the product side, I think when you think about helmets, probably the next big uh, area of innovation is going to be around electronics and visibility. Okay. So more and more people are riding with lights on their bicycle. Um, you know, people are mindful of riding with cars. Um, and that's one of the reasons that more people are riding gravel and off-road is they don't want to ride with cars. But obviously, especially because of the pandemic, but also with cities becoming bigger and bigger, um, you know, whether people are riding a scooter or a bicycle, um, they, they need head protection and they want to be visible. And so uh, that could be anything from lights to crash detection to, um, you know, crash warnings. Um, you know, we know that car companies are working on systems to help people avoid crashes, not just be protected when they crash. Yeah. So I think between lights and these types of technologies, there's a huge potential for innovation. That's awesome. Well, Eric, I would to say just thanks a lot. It was, um, so I was waiting, as I was saying, I was waiting a conversation like this for a lot of time and I think that we got the perfect one. It was pretty satisfying. I know way more at the moment about helmets awesome. and about everything like this. And I hope also the people that are listening to us, actually that were listening to you, will know more about that. And actually, I also know that in the future, I know a lot of things when I received the questions that I told you about helmets, protection, size, uh, different typologies, and also events where they can go and have fun. <laughs> so that's awesome. Fantastic. I really appreciate the chance to speak with you about all this stuff. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. Well, enjoy your rest of the day. As I was saying, now it's almost it's 10.20 for you. So enjoy your working day. And if you're going out with the bike, enjoy your ride as well, man. Thanks, Stefano. <laughs> Ciao. And thanks a lot, Eric, for this amazing chat. We talked about safety, we talked about protection, head protection, uh, we talked about sustainability, we talked about grind duro. I'm super stoked on our chat. And to you all there, if you still have some doubts about helmets, safety, uh, head protection, whatever, just send me an email, send me a message, put a comment, write me on Instagram, whatever, and I will be sure to collect all your comments and questions. I will pack them together and I will send them back to Eric. He was already super happy on telling me, look, if somebody else has some more doubts, let me know and we are going to be sure to comment and to answer to their doubts and questions again so whatever you want just send me an email or write me a comment let's talk about that let's engage this conversation and we can talk again with eric about this topic i am super happy for that what else i think that's it i believe yes just remember to subscribe rate and review this episode in your podcast host wherever you want and also share it with your friends if you think that this can be of any help for everybody out there. Remember that you can also see the episode, watch the episode on YouTube, the link is down below. And also remember that this year on my side, I have Komoot. 
This means that from next episode on, I will actually kick off also a new, uh, yes, something like a new uh, format, and you will know more about all the rights that you can have close to your place or around or anything. But remember as well to go and get your region for free. Just go on komoot.com slash G, like Greenland, and write in the code, your discount code, Broom. So you can get not only the free region that Komoot is providing you anyways for the first registration, but also an extra free region completely for you. And look also for Broom Wagon in Komoot in general, and there you will see all my rides and all the rides. I'm gonna tell you next week. For now, thanks a lot. Happy 2021. I will talk to you soon. Bye.